Okay, good evening everybody! Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. My name is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and I am delighted to join you for session number 168 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Tonight we get introduced to a very important character for the first time, and that is the mark. It is Rohan. The whole concept of the Rohirrim enters the story for the first time here this evening, which is delightful. Um, so, um, yes, uh, very, uh, very exciting. So, um, for, uh, announcements tonight before we begin. Um, just a couple brief announcements. Uh, one of the things I wanted to remind people of is that it is December 15th. That is to say, we are coming to the end of the calendar year. So for those of you who are going to begin thinking about uh, year-end tax breaks and things like that, I would ask you to remember Signum University. Signum University is a 5013C corporation, and we would be very, very warmly delighted uh, if you were to take Take your tax breaks from us. Uh, so remember, Signum, uh, if you are doing year-end giving or, or again with your or privately or with your company. Um, so I uh, just wanted to remind folks about that as we come towards the end of the year. Uh, it's a great opportunity uh, for uh, for giving to kind of get things within the tax windows there. Um, so um, uh, anyway. Just wanted to, yeah, Angris says $300 is deductible for everyone, regardless of itemizing. See, there you go. Um, uh, so uh, would um, uh, definitely, definitely want to recommend that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to remind folks about is our Signum Path program. So our Signum Path program is starting up classes again in January. We've been off here in December, uh, so it's been a while since we've been running our classes, but our Signum Path classes are coming back in January, and we're reintroducing uh, our one of our badges that we we, uh, we ran in the summertime, and we didn't run it in the fall. Uh, so we're going to be running courses for three badges uh, for our writing badge, our uh, oral communications badge and our person-to-person -person badge. So that's the one with uh, emotional intelligence and conflict resolution and stuff. It's a really, really fun badge. Um, so these are really, really important skills. For those of you who don't know, Signum Path is a new program we just launched, and the goal of it is to help professionals begin to uh, to, to gain and to enhance uh, foundational skills, that is, communication skills, people skills, the kinds of things that are enormously important to succeed in any job that you have, even if you're in a very technical or uh, sort of laboratory-based job or whatever, it's still really important to be able to communicate clearly in writing, to be able to uh, be persuasive when you need to be persuasive, to be able to explain things clearly, uh, to be able to, to connect with people and to, uh, to be able to read people, right, when you're, uh, when you're interacting with folks, to be a good listener, all of these skills absolutely crucial for success in any uh, uh, field of inquiry. These were the kinds of things that have been uh, really effectively trained by the humanities for many years, but of course people do in less humanities these days, and it has led to a a skills gap in the workplace, which we're hoping to help fill. So that's what's the that's the the purpose of Signum Path. Strongly encourage folks to um, um, to check that out. Uh, really great for folks who are looking to uh, move up in the job that they have. People who are on the job market right now. I know there's a lot of people on the job market, and it's a really really good way to help to set yourself apart uh, from other people. Uh, these kinds of skills are really things which will make one candidate stand out from among others who have sort of similar resumes. Um, so, 
anyway, that's um, uh, that's that's uh, it's one of our new big programs this year. Uh, really excited about Signum Path, and as I said, that our classes are starting up. Our classes are each uh, one month long. They're just little mini courses, um, uh, not very expensive. As all of Signum classes, the tuition is quite low. Um, so I encourage you to look into those. There's still time to sign up for our January courses and February courses uh, as we move forward. So just wanted to uh, reintroduce Signum Path uh, to folks and invite you to look into that um and don't forget end of the year giving uh which is uh, uh which is a wonderful thing so okay with that let us jump back into the text here uh and back into the most passionate discussion we had last week which is about uh the phrase to try to or to try and um uh many thanks to uh, uh wolfhound on uh twitter for bringing this up, just sort of made this random observations. Isn't it interesting that Gandalf says uh, it would be useless to try and uh, uh, win the honest Radagast over to treachery? Um, and we ended up talking about when you say to try to and when you say to try and. And I'm especially interested, by the way, in the infinitive version. I feel like the, the difference between the two is a little sharper in the infinitive version of to try. Um, so uh, when you use to try, so to try and or to try to. So um, anyway, so we um, uh, were, were doing some research here. So there was a really good discussion. I can't summarize all the discussion that uh, was on the discussion board there. But Edith Aldora did some research and she did some, uh, uh, some, some counting here of the number of times these phrases were used by different folks and who used them. In the text, one thing that really struck me as I was looking at these lists that you made, Edith, is the very first thing that I notice is that it's more balanced than I expected. I thought to try and was going to outnumber to try to pretty significantly, and it really doesn't. Um, uh, so that's one thing that I, I was very interesting to me. There were far more examples of to try to than I expected to find. Um, and another thing, you can see the divisions even among particular characters, right? Like Gandalf has three of to try and and four of to try to, um, which is really interesting. Um, there is a um, there is a one other thing that's a, a, an interesting split is between the narrator, right? The narrator only says to try and once, and the narrator uses to try two four times. Um, so that does seem to be perhaps a significant imbalance. Um, Frodo always says to try and. Frodo never says to try to. Um, Gollum is divided between the two categories. So it's it's tricky. I think probably the one that might have surprised me most was seeing Sam Gamgee in the to, to try to category because the leading theory. So one of the there were a couple of different theories that folks were putting forward on the discussion board about this. One was that it's merely a question of formality, that to try and is more casual and colloquial and to try to is sort of more formal and polished. That's um, uh, that's the um, uh, that's the the shift there. That's that's the the sort of the one theory, um, and um, my and that seems to me likely. I mean that that feels right in some ways, um, but um, 
the what was I going to say? Lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, sorry. The other theory. The other theory was that maybe it correlates with um, a difference in certitude, like or like in confidence of success of the thing, um, so that it, it actually has some kind of difference of denotation in that sense. Um, and I'm not really, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure that I'm not sure I'm convinced by that one. Um, but I think it's an interesting idea. Like if there's actually a kind of a different shade of meaning to this phrase. So I don't know. We'll see. I, 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 we definitely need to do a little bit more digging. Um, the one instance of the narrator using to try and was very interesting to me. And that was in the, um, uh, as I recall, that was in the choices of Master Samwise. Um, and so I'm kind of wondering that it's, um, I'm kind of wondering whether or not the narrator there is kind of, the narrator sort of speaking Sam's thoughts aloud. Like it's one of the places where the narrator is telling us what Sam is thinking, right? So I'm wondering if the narrator, well, I would have said the narrator is sort of slipping into Sam Gamgee's, more of Sam Gamgee's dialect in saying it. But then again, Sam Gamgee seems to use try to pretty often. Um, um, so uh, yes, there it is. It was not enough for him to find his master. He still had to try and save him. Yes. Yes. Uh, exactly. Uh, that's the one right there. So again, it's about it's about Sam um, and uh, uh, what is kind of going on in his head when he's thinking about going to find Frodo. Um, here's some examples. Thank you, JJ, uh, for providing a bunch of uh, a bunch of examples here. Most of these are the to try and examples. Um, we ought to try and rescue him. That is, we ought to try and rescue Lotho Pimple. Um, he still had to try and say it was not enough for him to find his master. He had to try and save him, the one that we were just talking about. Um, uh, do not tie their hands. They will give their words not to try and see. That's Faramir on the way to Henneth Anun. Um, Faramir, I wouldn't have pegged for that either. See, that's the thing. Like, that undermines my confidence in the formal, informal, or formal colloquial um, distinction. Faramir doesn't seem to me like a very colloquial kind of fellow in his speech patterns. Gollum. Um, it isn't funny, oh no, not amusing. It's not sense to try and get into Mordor at all. Um, and then... Uh, if we're going to try and get down, we had better try it once. That is from the uh, from the Emmanuel. Um The oldest were planted by the Ents to try and please the Entwives. Of course, uh, uh, Treebeard there. Um, um, again, I would not have pegged Treebeard for loose and colloquial speech either. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Angrist is wondering, indic indicative versus subjunctive mood. Hmm. Hmm. Sorry, now I'm going back, Angrist, through the ones I just read. Um. Huh. 
It strikes me, Angris, now that you mention the subjunctive mood, almost all of these examples are theoretical, like hypotheticals in some sense, right? It's not sense to try and get into Mordor at all. Like this theoretical thing that you're talking about isn't sense. Um, they will give their words not to try and see in the hypothetical case that, you know, uh, they were left, uh, uh, you know, with, yeah, that's why one's less hypothetical. Um, we ought to try and rescue him, the ought, right? They're talking about the thing that should happen, not yet a thing that's actively being planned. Um, the oldest were planted by the ants to try and please the ant-wise. That's not hypothetical either. Exactly. Um, no, it breaks down. It's not universal. I am not going to try and guess is not hypothetical. I guess. Hmm. Okay, Bjarnas owner says, to me, try to suggests a likelihood that the action taken itself may not be completed successfully, while to try and doesn't necessarily imply that. Okay, so this is back to the confidence thing. So, all right, hang on, let me think about this more. Suge to try to suggests a likelihood that the action taken itself may not be completed uh, success. I'm afraid we shall have to try to get one pony, at least, says Strider. Um... To try to get one pony at least. Okay, and so he's... But he's doubtful that they're going to. But they, they should give it a shot, right? Um, yeah. Oh, hey, Luke, welcome back. Um, it was useless to try to escape over the long, uncertain path. Okay, right, so he's expressing disactive disbelief that that's going to happen. Um, if any, if an enemy were so rash as to try to enter that land secretly, okay, right, which wouldn't work. And then we start with the ifs. No, the others were ifs too. Maybe, I don't know. I, I feel like there must be a pattern. I feel like there must be a pattern. I'm not sure we have it. The more I look at it, the more I look at the different circumstances and characters that are saying it, the less confident I feel that it's merely a question of formality. I wonder if there is something else in the structure of these statements or ideas that... Um, yeah. Okay, the OED says... There's little discernible difference in meaning, though there's a difference in formality. Okay. But I'm wondering. See, you know... Uh, oh, what about chronology of writing? I don't think so. I don't think, Mad Violinist, that there's any evidence that he shifted... I'm so okay now, my advice. I'm looking at this list again, and I'm thinking about the passages and when they were written. Uh, I'm not going to try and guess is a relatively old one. 
I could think of nothing to do but to try and put a shutting spell on the door. I think that's a first draft sentence. Whereas Faramir's dialogue is older. Rescuing Lotho Pimple is older. That's quite recent. I mean, that obviously, not only in that it's the end of the book, but it's it's the revised version of The Scouring of the Shire. So, um... It, for Thos, it's always possible that Tolkien was not really making a distinction in his ear. It's always possible. I don't ever want to just assume that it's not the case, but at the same time, I feel really uncertain assuming that it is the case, basically. You know, um, that's that's my issue there, is that Tolkien, there's so much evidence, or let me say it this way. Very many times that I have found other people assuming that an apparent inconsistency in Tolkien's usage was merely arbitrary inconsistence, I have too many times come to find that there was a pattern there to be easily taken in by that. Um, yeah, yeah. There are times when they are not interchangeable. Aranas, I, I think I agree with that. And it feels different. But I'm not sure I can quantify the difference. That is, when I go and I replace the and with two in some of the later uh, quotes, like, they will give their word not to try to see. Feels different from they will give their word not to try and see. Okay. Literally, if we just kind of back up and look at the two phrases without thinking about what it sounds like, without thinking about, you know, anything like that. Let's just look at the actual grammatical construction of the two phrases, right? To try to, like, so to try to get one pony at least, to use the first example, right? To try to get one pony. That is stringing together two infinitives, right? You're using the infinitive to get, right? They're going to get. That's the verb, and they're using it in the infinitive. But then they're using the verb try in the, in the infinitive, so the thing that they're trying to do is an infinitive, right? They're, we shall have to try, to try what? To try to get. Whereas... When you're using and instead of to, it changes the second verb from an infinitive, an independent, a separate, you know, like stacked infinitives to try to get. And it changes it, at least superficially, into a compound, a single compound infinitive, right? To try and see, to try and save, to try and rescue. As if, like, the two of them are one single action, right? One single compound undertaking. What is the thing we ought to do? Try and save him. We ought to, you know, uh, he had still to try and save him. Um, they will not try and see. Whereas, again, the two concepts to try to get one pony, those are those are two separate infinitives that are stacked logically 
onto each other. Um, similarly, the second example there, it was useless to try to escape over the long, uncertain path. It was useless to escape. And it was, it was useless to try. But it's not just a useless to try and escape. It's not just trying and escaping are one compound action. Escaping is the action, and trying is like a modifying action. You know what I mean? Does it, does this, is this distinction make any se- making any sense? Um, yeah, uh, I like uh, uh, Heitlow's comment here, is the more I repeat them to, back to myself back to back, the more to try and seems to slightly emphasize the trying and try to X seems to slightly emphasize the X being done that second verb. Um, This might be on the one hand because of how my sentence stress patterns shake down in isolation like this, but at this point it's more likely because I've been repeating uh, those constructions so much. Um, Yes, yes. um, Zephan, that's exactly what I keep coming across, too, that there's a difference in feel, but I'm not sure I can say what it is. Um, Yeah, I think... I think I'm going along with Heitlow's comment that the stacked infinitives, to try to, places more emphasis on the second verb. To try to get. That the trying is in that sense only just kind of like modifying the getting. Right? What will they have to do? They'll have to get one pony. But, they have, I mean, they have to try to get it. Right? But it's about the getting. Um, uh, just as the second one is about the escaping. The third one is about the entering the land. If an enemy were so rash as to try to enter that land um, secretly. Um, uh, Yeah. Um, Oh, interesting. Uh, Sorry, I missed your name there. Somebody was saying that a classical linguist was agreeing with uh, with Heitlow there. Um, Yeah. Okay, so, right. If an enemy were so rash as to try to enter that land secretly. Again, it's about the entering. Right. Whereas. And and the trying seems to me a secondary thing there. I mean, it's an important idea in both ca- in all of those cases, but it seems to me distinctly secondary to the sense of the sentence where, where that second verb is the primary. Whereas when they're joined by and to try and see, to try and save, to try and please the entwives. Um, the pleasing is important, but so is the trying. Like, they didn't please the entwives, but they were trying to please the entwives, and that's what's important, right? They might not rescue Lotho Pimple, but they ought to try and rescue him, right? Um, uh, They'll give their word not to see, but the more important thing is they're going to give their word not to try to see, not to try and see, right? Um... It's the trying. The trying is equally important to the seeing. It's, it's, it's the trying. It's their act of will that Farmir is saying that's why we don't need to tie their hands because um, because they're not going to try and see, right? Um, yeah, 
Yeah. That feels like it's getting closer. It feels like it's getting closer to the different sense there. Let me look at some others here. I'm not going to try and guess, said Frodo, smiling, about Bilbo's, you know, which one, which lines were written by Aragorn and which by Bilbo in, in the poem. I'm not going to try and guess. Yes. So he's saying, he's not just saying I'm not going to guess. I'm not going to try. Right? I'm going, I'm neither going to guess nor try and guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's why I don't think it's about certainty exactly. I think it's about how primary to the meaning of the sentence the the concept of trying is, the verb try is. And back to the one that sparked this whole discussion, it would have been useless in any case to try and win over the honest Radagast to treachery. It would have been impossible to win the honest Radagast over to treachery. But it would have been useless even to try and win over the honest Radagast to treachery. Um, whereas... If, you, if he said it would have been useless in any case to try to win over the honest Radagast to treachery, it does place more of the emphasis on the winning, which would feel like the wrong word, because that sentence is about winning. It's about how there's no point in even trying and winning. Um, the trying needs to be more of the emphasis, because the, 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 the attempt is useless, right? Useless even to think about it. Um, Mary in the Old Forest says, that is the path I am going to try and find. See, there I would think he could have said to try to find. But by saying to try and find, maybe maybe the certitude that you guys are feeling is, maybe it's just another way of saying the same thing that I'm saying. If Mary had said, that is the path I am going to try to find... Yes, I can't help. I find that I, I do stress the second verb more verbally when I, when, I, when I do it that way. That's the path I'm going to try to find. Find is the emphasis, right? But if you say that is the path I'm going to try and find, try and find are equally weighted, joined by and. And so therefore, it's less confident, right? Mary's not... not Laying the emphasis on find, it's, uh, you know, 50-50. Is he going to find it or is he just going to try? Uh, he's going to do both, but uh, oh, he hopes to do both, but he might end up just doing the, doing the one. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's starting to work for me. That's starting to work for me. Let's see. I was thinking so, said Frodo to Gildor, but we have got to try and get there, but it won't be done by sitting and thinking. Um, yeah, sorry, no, Farmer Maggot. He's saying this to Farmer Maggot. I was thinking so uh, that it's going to be difficult to get to the ferry, but we have to try and get there. Yeah. Try and get, not try to get, but we have to try to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Kurtzimus says, if we try to figure this out, it sounds less likely that we will than if we say we are going to try and figure this out. See, I disagree. To me, it's, it's the opposite, Kurtzimus. I think it's opposite. If we try to figure this out, the, the figuring out is the primary emphasis. But if we try and figure it out, it's a good chance we're not going to, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I hear the opposite to you, Kurtzimus. I think I do. Let's see. Another example. So let's see. I could think of nothing to do but to try and put a shutting spell on the door. Try and put a shutting spell on the door. Yeah. Now there he did succeed in putting a shutting. It didn't hold, right? But he did put a shutting spell. Or maybe, I guess it didn't succeed, maybe? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay well I don't know that we're going to solve this definitively one way or the other but that is at least that is at least a theory that seems initially to hold up and would provide an explanation if Tolkien did have a clear um, differentiation in his own mind. And again, let me just emphasize, nothing would shock me less than... I, and I understand that the OED says the two are basically interchangeable. In usage, they certainly are. And I have no doubt that the differences in different people using that, not within the book, but I mean in the world, the differences between different English speakers using the one or the other almost certainly has more to do with dialect and upbringing or, you know, whatever like you happen to have been exposed to than it does anything else. Um, so I am sure that they are functionally interchangeable and even have been functionally interchangeable for a long time. But doesn't this sound like exactly the kind of thing that Tolkien would have an opinion about? Like, you know, that he would be like, people say to try to and to try and interchangeably. But that's wrong, right? There's a difference in meaning between the two. Couldn't you? I mean, come on. Like, doesn't that sound like a kind of Tolkien opinion to have? Um, especially since it's one of those things when you back up and look at it, as we're doing for, as I've never done in my life before our last two sessions here, um, when you back up and look at it, it doesn't even make that much sense that they should be, mean the same thing. Um, you know, the stacking of two infinitives versus the making of one essentially compound infinitive, those are two different grammatical constructions. And in other languages, there would be a difference in meaning between those two things. So I can totally believe um, that... Um, I can totally believe that there is... that he made a distinction between the two. Um, and uh, might even have had strong views on this subject. Um, so exactly, Heitlow, the, the trick is still to work out Tolkien's own pattern. That's exactly it. That's why I think that our best bet here, which is usually the case, honestly, with any author, whenever you're trying to work out a usage issue or trying to figure out like what a word means um, or what are the implications of a word. It's always really tempting to go to like associations we have with that word with other things, you know, like uh, basically associations that we bring to the word. 
But sometimes, often, really, that can be misleading. You always first want to try to build an internal vocabulary. Like, what does this word mean here in this book, right? What does this usage tend to suggest uh, internally within the structure of this book? Um, but, um, yeah, I, I I think it does totally sound like a Tolkien opinion, Matt. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think... Turambar, I don't think... I don't... Th I mean, you're right that I can easily imagine him... Um, I can easily imagine him going on a rant in a letter to the editor, right? To the publisher, to, you know, to the Houghton Mifflin um, proofreaders who are trying to, who are trying to change it. Right. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, I, um, yeah. So I just said to try to build, right? <laughs> You have to try to build. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, emphasis on build, not try. Right. Uh, I'm not going to say we have to try and build, you know, that compound action of attempting and, and doing, you know, which. Um, so basically, like when you use the and you're essentially establishing precisely what Yoda says is impossible. Right. Um. Right. It's either do or do not. There is no try. But if you say to try and rescue, you are saying, no, there's like the, the I'm joining together the concepts of trying and of doing. And, you know, what we're setting out to do is like it's it's going to be what it's it's as yet indeterminate, whether we're only going to try or whether we're going to do. Um, yeah. Now, I'm, I don't think I don't remember Emily any rant about this in his letters. Um it's possible, but I don't remember any in the published letters. Um, but um, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to, we'll have to see. Um, okay. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye out on this. Of course, we have a whole bunch of examples that we've searched for already here. But um, like I said, I don't know if my grammatical theory there uh, really holds true. Um, but, um, yeah, but at least it strikes me not only as a viable interpretation of the examples that were given, but it also seems to me like the kind of distinction I would expect Tolkien's distinction to be linguistic in origin. I would expect it to be like grammatical and syntactic, like where these expressions come from. Um, the kind of sloppy using two different constructions to basically mean the same thing. Um, I, I, I would expect that that's exactly the kind of thing that would pretty much drive Tolkien crazy, basically. Um, just like, can you imagine what Tolkien would say to the people who, um, who say... I could care less when they mean I couldn't care less, right? Basically, the people who use those two, I couldn't care less and I could care less is essentially synonyms, you know, like essentially equivalent expressions. Could you imagine 
like the look that Tolkien would give somebody who did that, like he wouldn't have a he, he, that that would not be okay, right? Um, and oh yeah, exactly, right. I'm I'm also imagining Tolkien uh, um, uh, waiting in a grocery lane for people who have ten items or less. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, but um, uh, anyway, yeah, it's 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 uh, yeah, not hard to imagine him ranting. Uh, about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm, okay, Lady Lakana asks, is Tolkien using try to mean attempt or test? I think attempt in almost every case. I mean, there's an element, you know, different meanings of of the same word are not necessarily unrelated to each other. You know, um, I mean, there's there's a in the concept of attempting something, there is a sense of of try in the sense of testing as well. Like we're going to test to see if this works, kind of thing. Um, so the two are not unrelated, obviously. But I, I, it's attempt, I think. Um, uh, in 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 all of these cases, I think. Yeah, there's no sense to try to get into try and get into Mordor. Uh, there were not to try and see to try and see. Yeah, I, I, I think it's attempt all the way. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. As far as which one is correct. Uh, uh, bugs are John. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I mean, again, as uh, as uh, Rotterdeer says, it depends on what you mean. Right? I mean, if you mean that you do not care at all about something, then you would say I could not care less. Like it is not possible to care less. My 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 caring is is down to the theoretical minimum. Uh, right? It is asymptoted at zero. You could not care. Whereas if you could care less, then you do care some. Right? That means you you do care a quantifiable amount, which. Uh, um, you know, than which there is a significant uh, range of lesser caring. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway. But we we shan't uh, uh, solve all of our cultural linguistic foibles this evening. Um, <laughs> but yes, Mike, it certainly was settled long past by Weird Al. Um, Yes, word crimes is of course uh, 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 very excellent. Um, anyway, okay, um, let us move back to the text then, because it's time to talk about Rohan. As oddly enthralling as this very obscure piece of syntactic uh, debate we've been having is. And again, many thanks to Wolfhound for mentioning it. It was the very first comment made in class last week on last week's passage. And I had uh, was certainly not prepared to talk about that last week. Uh, so that's uh, that was really cool. So thank you for this wonderful set of digressions. Okay. Rohan, so this is the passage we finished in last time. And... Um, We've got uh, Gwai here. Um, How far can you bear me, I said to Gwai here. Many leagues, said he, but not to the ends of the earth. I was sent to bear tidings, not burdens. Then I must have a steed on land, I said, and a steed surpassingly swift, for I have never had such need of haste before. 
Then I will bear you to Edoras, where the Lord of Rohan sits in his halls, he said, for that is not very far off. And I was glad, for in the Rittermark of Rohan, the Rohirrim, the horse lords dwell, and there are no horses like those that are bred in that great vale between the misty mountains and the white. Are the men of Rohan still to be trusted, do you think? I said to Gwaihir, for the treason of Saruman had shaken my faith. They pay a tribute of horses, he answered, and send many yearly to Mordor, or so it is said. But they are not yet under the yoke. But if Saruman has become evil, as you say, then their doom cannot be long delayed. Okay. Um, all right. Um, first of all, just as a historical note, this is, in fact, the passage that... Um, is the very first time. So when Ga when when Gandalf when yes when Gandalf was drafting his first uh, the first copy the first time Gandalf ever said this speech, um, uh, in the first draft of the Council of Elrond, um, this is the moment when the concept of the Rohirrim emerged in Tolkien's mind for the first time. There had never been any hint that the Rohirrim existed until uh, until this moment. So this is Tolkien's normal kind of world building or really world discovery on the fly. Um, he's discovered the land of Ond. Uh, I mean, Ondor. I mean, Gondor. Um, earlier on with trying to figure out the history of, New, you know, how Numenor connected with all this stuff. Um, but the kingdom of Ond, the kingdom of, of stone. Um, we have the stone lords and the, and the horse lords, essentially. Um, uh, you know, th so those emerged, both of them, in the context of the Council of Elrond, um, Gondor first, Rohan second. Um, yeah, countries spring out of the ground, spring out of the ground. Yes, it, yes, the, uh, uh, countries and legends spring up, uh, spring forth out of the grass. It's uh, it's exactly the experience of uh, writing the Lord of the Rings, certainly. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. So. Um, all right. Gwai hears a question that was raised last time, which is an excellent question. What is the source of Gwai hears information? Um, Gandalf says, I must have a steed on land. Um, that is, please, please don't drop me off in the middle of nowhere where I will be on foot. Um, because I not only need a steed, I need a steed surpassingly swift, for I have never had such need of haste before. Which sounds like a little bit of a guilt trip, if I'm being totally honest, right? Um, okay, mister, I can't bear you to the ends of the earth, but it sure would be handy right about now to have somebody to bear me up to the Shire. If it, but if you can't, I understand. Don't worry about it. It's fine. T-Schwab um, um, <laughs> says, like an eagle, maybe. Yeah, maybe something like that would be awful handy just now. Um, but, um, uh yeah, yeah. I've never had such need of haste before. <clears throat> I don't know if that is an indirect approach on Gandalf's part to trying to talk Gwaihir in, in fact, to carrying him all the way. Um, uh, <laughs> but, in any, I mean, it is also, of course, certainly just perfectly true on the face of it uh, that he needs... Um, uh, he needs uh, a steed on land if he is uh, if Gwaihir is indeed going to insist on dropping him off. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I will bear you to Edoras, where the Lord of Rohan sits in his halls, for that is not very far off. Um, <clears throat> Guayhir, that Guayhir is familiar with the name of the capital city of Rohan is not strange that he would know enough about local politics to know that. Then we get Gandalf's commentary. Um, I was glad for in the Rittermark of Rohan, the Rohirrim, the horse lords dwell, and there are no horses like those that are bred in that great vale between the Misty Mountains and the White. So one question that occurs to me is for whose sentence, for whose benefit is that sentence uttered? Certainly the hobbits who may not have known of Rohan's. I mean, certainly Frodo probably hasn't heard of Rohan yet. Um, or at least there's no necessary reason um, to think that he has. Um, there might maybe be others who don't know about Rohan. I mean, does Gimli know about Rohan? Does, does even Galdor from the Havens know about Rohan. I mean, it's a human land far away, certainly way far away from the Grey Havens, right? Um, there's a whole lot of space in between, and there's no reason that, like, Kierden the Shipwright would have had any dealings with anyone from Rohan. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. It's only been around for 500 years, as Mad Violinist and Fourth Dauntless are saying. Exactly. I mean, like, not only do you, as an elf, not only do you have to keep up with world politics, you have to keep up with current events, right? I mean, if you blink, uh, 500 years later, this, like, yet another kingdom has grown up there. Um, uh, yes, good Emily points out that the elves don't even seem to know much about the Shire, uh, and that's quite a bit closer. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Drow Snake says perhaps Gandalf is giving context for why his horse is fast. Right, he is. Uh, he wants to explain what it means. Right, Guai. He quoted Guai here. Um, uh, he quoted Guai here as saying, "I will bury the Edoras where the Lord of Rohan sits in his halls." And if you don't know what Rohan is, that's a big so what. Like, oh, okay, because that's supposed to mean something. Why? Do we care? Why is this important to the story? Well, it's important to the story because these are the horse lords we're talking about, the Rohirrim. Um, and there are no horses like those bred in the Great Vale between the Misty Mountains and the White. So um, Gwai here did I mean, uh, one effect, certainly, of that sentence in that paragraph is that Gandalf is definitely saying Gwai here did the second best thing that he could for me, right? I mean, it would have been a little bit nice if he had just flown me straight up to the Shire, but failing that, and he seems to have had some reason not to do that, um, he did the next best thing, which is to, to put me down in the place where I could get the fastest horse in Midorth, basically. Um, so that um, seems like a kind of, I'm not, a, not a vote of confidence in Guay here, but a, a, a bit of a kind of a commendation. Uh, in a sense. <laughs> JJ says, much faster than the stones the Gondorians try to ride. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dan, you're right. Dan says, Rohan, some of you might know it better as 
Kalinarthan, yeah, except some of them might not even have heard, not even have tracked with that, right? Um, yeah, who knows how they remember it? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it is possible that some of the um, that some of the Rohirrim, like some of the, the the like the elves would know because the Rohirrim the Rohirrim live next to Rohan, or sorry, no, no, they live in Rohan. They live next to Lothlorien, and so therefore. You know, it like might be known. You know, they have stories about the elves. So, um, yes, that's possible. Though, again, I wonder how much time does Galdor of the Havens spend, you know, chilling and swapping stories with anybody from Lothlorien? Um, I don't think very much. But, um, yeah, yeah. Um, So yes, it's likely that many people in the world need this particular piece of context. Um, it's Gandalf in his recollection, right during in the during the story. It's Gandalf who raises the question of the trustworthiness of the men of Rohan, because remember we're not told anything about them. All, I mean, that first paragraph right there—that's literally the sum total of our knowledge about Rohan, right? So we know that their place is called Edoras, which is enough already, by the way. The very first thing that we learn about them is that their language is based on Anglo-Saxon, uh, because anybody who knows Anglo-Saxon is likely to recognize the word Edoras, which just means buildings in Anglo-Saxon, essentially. Um, it's the plural for the word building. Um, structures, <laughs> basic architectural structures um uh so yes uh, uh so they will so Adoros, so okay so we 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 know we sh we should suspect there's an anglo-saxon linguistic connection there um they have a lord uh and they're not far from isengard so those are the three facts that we know about rohan so far um gandalf adds more to our sum of information the Rohirrim, the Horse Lords, which is, of course, a translation of Rohirrim. Um, the Rohirrim, the Horse Lords, dwell. And there are no horses like those. Okay, so these are the Horse Lords. Notice what we don't have. There's no hint or indication of their allegiance to Gondor yet. And I mean, in this paragraph, right? Um... um Yes, reread Tolkien. Good. Points out we do know about their gap. The gap of Rohan has come up. Has it by name? Has anyone named the gap of Rohan yet? In the council? Can somebody look that up quick for me? Has that phrase gap of Rohan? It it has, right? Did Boromir mention the gap of Rohan by name in his story? I know he came through the gap of Rohan, but did he say the phrase? As Brandon Minnick says, I, I've got to go to buildings to see King King. Yeah, and that's that's the Anglo-Saxon experience right there. Um, sorry, the inside joke, of course, is that almost all of the kings of Rohan, um, their names basically mean king. It's uh, like their, their names translate in Anglo-Saxon. It's like an Anglo-Saxon word that uh, all of their names are an Anglo-Saxon word, which, you know, has been used to mean, you know, ruler or king. Um, uh 
Okay, great. JJ found it. Um, good. Gandalf mentioned it when he was describing the way to Isengard. Great. That is far south in Isengard in the end of the Misty Mountains, not far from the Gap of Rohan. Okay, great. Great. So it has been mentioned. Great. Great. And those, by the way, are ret not retcon, but those are later additions um, uh, from his subsequent drafts. Um, good. Michael, thank you. I'd forgotten about that. Um, Boromir did mention them. Good. So we have had a hint. We have had a hint of the political leanings of Rohan. Good. I'd forgotten about that one. Yeah. Um, only from Rohan now will any men come to us when we call. Good. Yes. Good. So we do have that. If we are very retentive readers, uh, very attentive and retentive readers, uh, we will recall that Boromir has already alluded to them. And so therefore, um, it's, um, we should remember that association. Um, but, um, but Gandalf is uncertain. Are the men of Rohan still to be trusted, do you think? I said to Gwai here. For the, re for the treason of Saruman had shaken my faith. The fact that he says, he only says this because his faith had recently been shaken by the treason of Saruman does already put this in the context of that, like, the, the normal presumption would be that they are to be trusted, right? They're not merely a dubious realm whose allegiances are generally unknown. They're people that he would normally have assumed he could trust. But since the whole Saruman experience, now his faith has been shaken, and so he's not sure whether or not he can um, whether or not he can trust them. Um, yeah, and Michael, you're right. Uh, a normal reader would have encountered that Boromir uh, quote a lot earlier on, or a lot more, a lot closer together. Right? It's uh, it was much more recently that Boromir mentioned that than it might feel like in the context of this class. That's very true. Um, uh, yes, and Brandon, I do agree that there is um, uh, there is the sense here, we do get the sense that Rohan is gravely threatened by Saruman's fall. They would be under great pressure uh, from him being on their border. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, they're nearby, and that's bad, <laughs> certainly for them, right? Um, but it also does, you know, are they working hand-in-glove with Saruman? Because with Saruman betraying them, one of two things has to be true, right? Either they are not to be trusted because they're working with Saruman, or they're about to get stumped by Saruman. There's really no middle ground possible uh, for the people of Rohan, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so Gwai, here's the answer. They pay a tribute of horses and send many yearly to Mordor, or so it is said. But they are not yet under the yoke. But if Saruman has become evil as you say, then their doom cannot be long delayed. Now, this, I agree with many of you. The fact that I put off talking about this for so long doesn't mean I'm not interested in it. Um, I... I think we learn more from this paragraph about Gwaihir and the 
sort of mission of the Great Eagles than we have done anywhere else in this whole, you know, this whole section so far. Um, he, Guayhir, obviously collects, he doesn't just watch from a height, right? This is not, he, he's keeping track, right? He is keeping tabs on what happens. And not only when Radagast sends him out on, you know, fact-finding missions, right? On spying missions. Um, in fact, again, it seems to support the explanation for why Radagast goes to the Eagles here, right? Because they are likely to be well-informed, right? They keep tabs on what's happening in the lands about. But you might think that they would do that primarily visually, right? That the eagles, being who and what they are, would be primarily spying out the land in a purely visual sense. That they would be looking out over the lands. Not that they would be listening orally to rumors and stories about what is happening in the lands. Um, but they have heard rumors. They have heard rumors that um, the Rohirrim pay a tribute of horses and pay it and send many yearly to Mordor, or so it is said. If you hadn't added that last tantalizing, um, and I agree, praise tantalizingly passive construction, or so it is said, we might have thought that he saw this, right? That he saw a tribute of horses being driven towards Mordor on an annual basis, right? That would seem to be a phenomenon that would be visually observable if he were, in fact, keeping careful track of what's going on in this area. Um, but that's not what he says. He hasn't seen this. He's not speaking of it as a fact that he's observed. He's speaking of it only as a rumor that he's heard. Um, and yes, Mad Violinist, I agree, the general usage of so it is said, the pa that passive construction, um, it does, so, so it is said, does exactly what passive constructions can sometimes do that lead that led your English teacher to always tell you not to do it, right? The reason that high school English teachers tend to tell their students never to use the passive voice, which is kind of a silly thing to say, um, but the reason there's reason behind it, and the reason is that students, especially um, especially expository writers lacking confidence, will often hide behind the passive voice as a way to defend like to diffuse responsibility um, when they're not sure what's going on and they want to just kind of note that something appears to be happening, right? Um, and uh, uh, and so they will say things like, um, you know, like in, in an English paper, they'll say things like, it can be seen that this happens, right? Rather than say, this person does this or this author does this or something like that. Um, so, um, there's a, 
so when you use the passive voice in that way, you're simply concealing. You've removed the doer of the action completely from the sentence, right? Um, and that is sometimes actively dishonest in the classic mistakes were made uh, thing where you don't want to admit that you made mistakes or your people made mistakes. So you just say mistakes were made, um, concealing or, or, you know, attempting to draw away attention from the doer of the action. Um, but, um, uh, but the yeah, citation needed is a fun example of a passive construction like that. Who needs the, the citation exactly, right? Introduce me to the person who is in need of that citation. Um, but, um, but anyway, yeah. So, okay. The reason, of course, I say that it's kind of silly to say never use the passive voice is there are many situations in which the passive voice is they perfectly appropriate. What the passive voice does, of course, is reverse the emphasis on the subject of the action and the object of the action, right? It makes the object of the action the subject of the sentence. So if you want to draw attention, if your sentence is primarily about somebody who is the victim of an action, then you use the passive voice, right? Whereas if your sentence is really about the doer of the action, you use the active voice. Um, but uh, this is an example of the passive voice, which is con deliberately concealing um, the doer of the action, but not for dishonest purposes, because as Mad Violinist pointed out originally, um, there is, it's not attributed, right? You say, so it is said, when you want to point to a general rumor going about, but that does not have, you know, it's a citated, it's, it's, a, it's a citation needed situation, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Evil Dr. Cannon and Emily are both saying that scientific papers are almost exclusively in the passive voice. Um, yes, yes, for very good reason, right? Because, of course, the whole concept of the scientific method is about the, 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 the actions that are being done, the observations that are being made, right? The, the uh, conclusions that are being drawn, and I'm deliberately using the passive voice in those ways. Um, the doer of those actions is the scientist. But if the scientist is the hero of the scientific paper, he's doing it wrong, right? That's, that's bad science. If you're the protagonist of your, of your, of your lab write-up, you're, you're probably doing it wrong, right? It's supposed to be about the stuff that happened, not about you who did the observations. Um, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's about the findings, not about the finder. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, so that makes sense. It makes sense that that would happen, though it can lead to some troubles. Um, but um, but anyway. And by the way, I also think that one of the reasons your English teachers tend to tell you not to use the passive voice is that they're trying to make your English papers sound more like science papers because science is highly respected and nobody gives a crap about the humanities. So if you make your English paper sound like a scientific paper, then it will sound more objective and, like, dignified, right? Um, which is one of the main reasons I disapprove because it's a quite different thing. Um, because what ends up happening, of course, in English papers is you have quite dubious conclusions or 
uncertain observations or theories that are in fact the theories of the writer of the paper being put forward as if they're as if they're just kind of happening right in the story um uh yeah anyway anyway um and again of course i hope you understand i'm not insulting science by saying this but i am uh without uh shame expressing my disapproval of this particular impulse in academia uh, to try to dress the humanities up to make them look like the sciences in order to give them more perceived dignity. Um, the human, the dignity of the humanities is entirely other. We do not need to imitate the sciences in order to have dignity. It's a different thing and value valuable for different reasons. Um, that, that it's like such a profound missing of the point to try to do that. But anyway, whatever. Um, okay. Um, so back to Guay here. So it is said the striking thing about that to me, as I say, he's not just observing. He is not only telling Gandalf what he has spied from the skies or even what other eagles have spied from the skies, because even that presumably he would state as fact. You know, he would say something like, I have seen, you know, the Rohirrim sending their horses, you know, to Mordor or something like that. Um, but um, but anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, did I use trying to again, Nancy, trying to dress up the humanities? Yeah. Now, again, my usage is not evidence because my usage is going to be skewed by other things. But I think my usage there did fit the pattern, right? To try to dress. It's the dressing up that's, uh, that's the, the point. That's the emphasis there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you're right, Zephan. I think... Uh, I think people who are not at all interested in the humanities, we 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 might have already lost them at to try to and to try and like an hour ago. <laughs> You're probably right about that. Probably right about that. Anyway, okay. Um, uh, okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. Um, but again, the point is, there's rumors. He's pointing explicitly to rumors, things that people are saying, news that is circulating, right which he has probably not just like picked up in the local pub by accident. He seems to be keeping tabs on what's going on. He also, of course, as we will learn, is inaccurate. This is not true. It is not true that the Rohirrim pay a tribute of horses to Mordor um, and send many yearly to Mordor. That is wrong. Um, now, we will learn later on that many horses from Rohan do, in fact, go annually to Mordor. So there might be some truth that lies behind this rumor. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, that people are referring to the Eagle and Child pub, which is doubtless the pub that uh, that Gwaihir would uh, would go to. Um, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um Though, uh, uh, hopefully not so many children would be going at the same time, uh, presumably. Um, but, um, 
but yeah, AM, remembering ahead, Aemir has heard that the same rumor exists, right? He has also heard of this rumor. Um, this is why I don't think this can only be an eagle thing, right? Uh, this can just be like something circulating among eagles. Uh, you could imagine like one eagle sees a group of Rohan horses going, you know, uh, uh, being brought across the border by orcs towards Mordor and says, oh, it looks like, you know, and draws a false conclusion, right, that the Rohirrim are paying tribute. Um, and, uh, and you know, told it to Gwaihir and Gwaihir says it's said that they send many yearly to Mordor. I can imagine that coming about, right? But that story would hardly reach Aemir's ears, which it seems to have done, right? He has heard that the scuttlebutt around, you know, uh, Rovanian is that the Rohirrim are sending tribute to Mordor, and he's offended by that. Um, So, yeah, I can't imagine the eagles and the farmers are gossiping much uh, over sheep carcasses. That seems unlikely. Um, But... um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, where he heard it, we can only guess where he heard it. But let me try to guess. What are the options? What are the options? Assuming the rumor, given the fact that Aemir will have heard of it too, so let's, let's go with the assumption. Um, let Let's go with the assumption that the rumor is in, is human in origin. Okay, let's say it's human in origin, not avian in origin. What humans could possibly have now? Elves could maybe possibly have done it as well, but that seems less likely. I mean, do the ro- do the 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 um, um, Galadhrim watch the Rohirrim and think this, and would they tell the eagles? I don't know. So, Michael, that's exactly the question. What humans would Gwaihir have been talking to? Radagast, sure. But Radagast himself doesn't speak to many humans, so he's not a very good source uh, in that way. Um, I agree with Luke, and I think one or two others, maybe the Bjornings, the Bjornings seem a strong, some strong candidates. I can imagine Gwaihir talking to the Bjornings. Um, I can imagine. I mean, it, it would be ironic if he were talking to the Bjornings, because of course the kingdom of the Bjornings, like that, those are the people who have the U bows that we were talking about before. Um, um, <laughs> Carita says it's easy. A human says it, a fox overhears them, and the fox tells the eagle. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, or possibly a thrush. Yeah, also possible. Um, well, see, Lady Lakata, they do say in The Hobbit that they stay away from humans, etc. But the, the, the Hobbit, the eagle hobbits, the Hobbit eagles, uh, eagle hobbits are totally different. The the Hobbit Eagles are very different from the Great Eagles. Capital G, capital E. The, this is this we're 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 in a different place with Gwai here. Here, um, 
<laughs> Burra Eagle Hobbits. <laughs> Something like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Fourth Thoughtless says, Fan Art Challenge. Eagle Hobbits. Yeah, that would be fun. That would be fun. But no, D. Schwab, Bob is not an eagle. <laughs> of that, I'm, from that, that I'm pretty confident. Um, okay. Okay. I could buy the Bjornings. The Bjornings are also far enough removed. Where would they hear the rumors from? Yeah, exactly, Mike. It would have to be people close enough to Rohan to care and to observe, to have any basis of, of observing this, right? I mean, there's... there's There's definitely grounding for these rumors, right? I mean, the orcs are stealing horses and taking them to Mordor. So horses from Rohan are ending up in, in, in Mordor. So that's a thing. It could come up the Anduin. Yes. Yes. Um, possible that the, the elves of Lorien know it and tell the elves of Mirkwood who tell the Bjornings. It's pretty indirect, though. Yeah. Um, wild men of the woods? No, I wouldn't think so. Um, I wouldn't think so. Dunlendings? No. I, I, I don't... First of all, it's, it's the wrong side, right? I mean, the... The traffic in horses, however it's going down, is over on the east side, on the opposite end of Rohan from the Dunlending. So I don't think they would even be able to observe it. Um, yeah. Um, right. Trifle says we should look at this from the other side. Um, who would Amir have heard this rumor from or who, who is he talking to? Um, I wonder, has the rumor been told in Gondor? The Gondorians would be very interested to hear this, right? If there is even a chance that the Rohirrim have begun to deal in trade or tribute with Mordor, that's, that's big old news in the South, right? Um... Who would dare to tell it to Amir? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I know that Boromir statly disbelieves it. We'll get to that very soon. Next passage, I think. Um, but, um, and I don't doubt that many of the other people in Gondor would respond that way. My point is just that, like, whether you hotly disagree with it or not, the rumor is news in Gondor. So the Gondorians are the only neighbors of the Rohirrim who would really care whether or not that rumor was true. Um, I agree, Trifle. Boromir has not heard the rumor before, but there's plenty of time. Um, Aemir might have only heard quite recently, like within the last three months, for instance, that that rumor was being... Somebody from Gondor might have said or something. Um, yeah. I feel, we don't know for sure, but I feel pretty certain that Boromir hasn't heard it. At least his response strikes me that way. 
Um, is it possible the rumor is spread among the Rohirrim themselves? By worm tongue, you mean? Yeah. Hmm, let's see. Let's think about Saruman's angle on this. Does Saruman have reason to try to induce the faithful among the Rohirrim to suspect or fear that their leadership has struck a deal with Sauron? Yes. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. One way or the other, um, if the people who hear the rumor are staunchly against Sauron, then it's going to set them against the king. If they're ambivalent, if they're ambivalent about Sauron, then it could swing them to be like, oh, well, Theoden is okay with dealing with Mordor, so maybe it's not so bad. Um, Yes. Yeah. So that... I, I kind of have to think, if that rumor is spreading in Rohan, it would have to be maliciously spread. I can't see that, because... I mean, it's, it's a big accusation. It's a big accusation. As Boromir is going to spell out pretty soon. Um, this would be a massively countercultural thing. Um, this is not, oh, hey, I guess we're, you know, I've heard rumors that we have friendly relations with Mordor. This is not that. This is somebody is giving, is selling horses, uh, you know, to Mordor in tribute. Um, that's a big deal. That's a big, the shipping off of horses. Um, yeah, Sam says it would be like sending children to Nazi Germany. Almost in that category. I mean, in that direction. Certainly. I mean, towards that end of the spectrum, I would say. Um, which is why I think it would be, it would tend to be, sh which is why I think if the rumor is spreading in Rohan, it's got to be spreading, spread maliciously. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. So. If the origin of the rumors were to be Rohan, were to be Wormtongue, essentially, right? If this were to be a Wormtongueism, which does seem to me plausible, um, just in the interest of destabilizing, at the best, at least destabilizing the kingdom, at best actively warming it up to the idea of alliance with Mordor. Um, uh, then how would Gwaihir hear it? How would Gwaihir hear it? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, seeding hopelessness, Dishwab says. Right, right, sure. Right, from Crows... I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Um, <laughs> refugees from the South. Maybe. 
Maybe. Maybe. I think it's possible that so it is said among the birds. I don't know how many birds would be listening to this kind of thing. Some people are suggesting that it could be from orcs. I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't... I would... This doesn't sound to me like an orc rumor. It really doesn't. I mean, that orcs might have been found with horses. That seems perfectly plausible. But that orcs themselves would be promulgating the rumor or boasting about tribute? They wouldn't... That's not. I don't think that's the direction they would boast. They would boast about stealing them, right? They would boast about stealing them and slaughtering the people who are watching them, wouldn't they? Wasn't that the direction that orc boasting would tend? Rather than the much more politically devious, oh, yeah, these were given to us in tribute. Um, yeah. Right, and who would give credence to the orcs? Yes. Yeah, but I mean, if you thought you were catching them candidly admitting something to them, you know, among themselves or something, I could see that. But, yeah, I just, I don't see orcs promulgating this particular idea. Um, yeah. Um Hmm, Bobby's wondering if Wormtongue and Saruman could have told Radagast what people are saying. Could this come from Saruman to Gwaihir through Radagast? Presumably, when Radagast came to visit Saruman, they had more than a five-minute conversation and talked about things other than Gandalf? That's an interesting idea. That's a very interesting idea. That's almost like an Occam's razor solution, honestly. Because if there is one biped with whom we know for an absolute fact that Gwaihir has regular conversation, it's Radagast, right? So therefore, the simplest solution would be, would it be possible for him to have learned it from the one source that we know he has, which is Radagast. And yes, but the answer is only yes if the source of this story is Saruman, which, as we said, is plausible and makes sense. So it would get to Rohan and Amir then through Wormtongue, right? Again, this it's, it's Saruman's stratagem to get this rumor in circulation. He wants people to doubt Rohan, and he wants the Rohirrim to doubt their leaders and stuff. So it gets to Rohan via Wormtongue. It gets, to, you know, so he gets, so, yeah, Saruman, you know, messages Wormtongue about this, um, you know, roll out the tribute to, to Sauron rumor, and then he tells Radagast, hoping that it will get around from Radagast. That that works for me. That holds together. That is by far the simplest solution. That is definitely the Occam's Razor solution to this dilemma. Um, and if 
Saruman himself handed it on to Radagast as a rumor, not as an authoritative thing like, Radagast, I must tell you troubling news that I have seen that, or, or that I know for a fact that this happens. If instead he told Radagast, um, I have heard tale, and I have heard story, I, 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 I have heard, t- if he just said to him, it is said, right? It is said that Rohan does this. Radagast would have repeated it as rumor, to Gwaihir, and so Gwaihir is here repeating it as rumor. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, he doesn't need Radagast in particular to doubt Rohan Turambar, but he would know, Saruman would know, that Radagast has many connections up in the north. To, so to sow questions of... Remember, one of his strategies, right, is to minimize resistance. So if um, anybody that Radagast talks to, namely like the Bjornings, maybe uh, the Wood Elves, maybe even the, you know, Galathrim, if all of those people in the area are thinking, well, now Rohan has gone over to Sauron, um, how long until Gondor, you know, basically it sort of suggests the tide is turning, it's useless to resist, that kind of, I mean, you know, so it, it, I think it would, it's not, I don't think that he's counting on it to do a massive, you know, he's he's hoping for a massive payback, you know, a payoff from this, uh, from this little gambit. Um, but any payoff that there would be would be good from his perspective, I think. Um, yeah. Um, we don't know for a fact that he still talks to the Bjornings. Um, I mean, we know that Bjorn himself knew him um, and thought him not a bad fellow, as wizards go. But we don't know for a fact that... But I don't see any reason to think he doesn't. I mean... Yeah. 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 Exactly, Mad Violinist. A classic disinformation operation out of Orthanc. That works for me. That that seems the best explanation. Um, yeah, JJ, you're right. It's a perfect way for him to set up a, a military campaign against Warhan, right? If he's if he's planning war with Rohan, as you say, the more rumors there are out there, true or false, the more likely political allies will leave well enough alone. People are less likely to come scampering to the defense of Rohan if the um, rumors are circulating that they've thrown in with Sauron. Indeed, it could even help to cover Saruman's trail um, because even after war begins with Sauron, between Saruman and Rohan, um, if enough people believe that Rohan is thrown in with Sauron, there is at least doubt about what's, you know, it doesn't necessarily prove that Saruman's gone bad, right? It can enable him to continue like plausible deniability to even to the others in the Council of the Wise, right? If it's generally known that or suspected at least that Rohan's own loyalties might be becoming dubious. Yes, exactly, Sam. There's Saruman fighting Mordor's protectorate, right? Striking a good, stri- you know, a good stroke for the for the people with orcs and orc riders. Yes, but you know, 
rumors about that are probably greatly exaggerated, right? That's probably not. It's probably just a malicious rumor itself, right? If there are orcs involved, there are probably orcs involved on the side of Rohan, which is, uh, as everybody knows, right? Now, you know, Mordor's number one ally. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's all, it fits in all kinds of ways into Saruman's point of view. Yeah. No, you're, you're right, Evil Dr. Cannon. It's difficult to explain. His attacking with Orkman is difficult to explain to eyewitnesses, right? But only the eyewitnesses, right? There are, war, there are you know, uh, battles with, of orcs in the, in, you know, in the fields of Rohan. You know, again, if there would be, right, if uh, Rohan was uh, paying tribute to Mordor. Um yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it works. It works. Um, yeah. Um, uh, Bogzarjan asks, you know, why why does Mordor need lots of horses? You know, need need lots of uh, black horses. Well, um, <laughs> first of all, you know how many they must go through training them to carry Nazgul, I mean, really, there's got to be a significant fail percentage there of horses that just refuse or die or, you know, yeah, yeah, I got to think, I got to think that um, um, it takes a herd, you know, to... Uh, narrow it down to the uh, candidates who are going to be, uh, you know, actual, actually carrying Nazgul. Um, um, and, um, and yes, it is true that the rest of their cavalry is on black horses as well. It's not just the Nazgul who ride the black horses. Um, yeah, yeah, yep, exactly, exactly. Um, What about the men of Nurn? Well, if you mean, like, what about any cavalry forces of the men of Nurn? Yes, but if you're asking about why don't the men of Nurn breed horses, um, the answer is, well, they might. But, I mean, you want the best horses for your cavalry. And everybody knows uh, that um, there are no horses like those that are bred in the Great Vale between the Misty Mountains and the White. Uh, even Sauron knows that. Um... Yeah. Yeah. Um, good. Good. Um, okay. Excellent. Uh, that was good. I think we solved the mystery there. Hey, maybe two mysteries: the grammatical as well as the, or the syntactic as well as the, uh, the story. But that that I this. I'm feeling more and more confident that this is almost certainly a an, an, an Isengard disinformation campaign. That just seems to fit in almost every way. Um, and that would make Radagast the very logical transmitter of this rumor up to Gwaihir. And, of course, would also explain why Gwaihir's information is bad. Because, and he wouldn't be shy about, about um, passing on this information, despite its dubious nature, because 
it is very likely that the Eagles would, in fact, have seen evidence that backs it up. They would have seen orcs driving herds of horses from Rohan towards Mordor. That would have happened, right? Most likely. Um, so, and, and it fits. It fits the story. Yeah. Good. Good. Next week, we should try and get through an entire slide, you think? Yeah. Yeah. We could even try to get through an entire slide, I think. Yeah. Well, but tonight we also had a long syntactic discussion, and I was extra late tonight from coming late from another live broadcast, which went longer than I expected. So, all things together, half a slide tonight, but that's okay. Um, okay. <laughs> the word slide sounds inappropriately fast for what we do here, Kurtzimus. Yeah, I suppose that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, uh, you, you think they're more like slips than slides, JJ? Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, it is field trip time. So we're going to switch over uh, to our field trip so you can uh, join me on Twitch. I'm going to turn off the Twitter feed. Uh, so thanks to those who join me there, and you can join me at twitch.tv slash signumu. Uh, thanks, everybody. Bye now. Well, not, not bye to everybody, just bye to oh, the Twitter yep. folks. Okay, good evening. How are you, Valoria? How are you? Good. Let's see. Good, okay. Start following up real quick. Yeah. Okay, oh, hang on. Gotta get yep. it to re engage with my. There we go. Okay. Okay. Oh, sorry. Lost it. Missed it. <laughs> oh, dear. Let's do another thing. And, uh, All right, okay. That's I was just hard. about to click it, and then it went away. There we go. Okay. Yeah, they never. It never seems to be up long enough, quite for my liking. Yes. But then uh, I'm usually doing three things at once, like you know, knitting and being on Discord and right. Okay. I'm, on Facebook and all those things. I'm going back to uh, Blumgard. Okay. Yep. Where we left off last time. Oh yes, Guard of the Flowers. Yeah. up here in Flower Watch or whatever. Mm -hmm. I am almost disappointed that we don't see more of sentient animals in this other than that one fox in the Shire, you know? I think that this, well, the sentient animals get all dubious, right? Uh, that is like all uncertain about, uh, it, it's not that we don't have them. I mean, we, we get Gwai here and we get Shadowfax, who seems to be mm -hmm. sentient. And yeah, Yes, but we don't, don't just get like garden variety sentient animals, like giant yeah. spiders or giant wargs, or you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Of course, when I think of uh, eagles hearing gossip, I always think of uh, Yggdrasil and the eagle that sits on top and the squirrel that's running back and forth, giving them all the gossip from everything. Right. Right. Throughout the tusk. You know, there are not very many wells in Lotro. Fall down a couple of them. Well, in Moria, sure, one. but 
Is this a falling down well? I'm scared to find out. No, it looks like no. No. Okay. It's a very well built well. Oh, man. Dra do you see the uh, fan art challenge accepted by Dragon Tarachne, the Burry oh, Eagle Hobbit? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no that's pretty Who good. will be named Bob, probably. Yes, Bob the Burry Eagle Hobbit. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's going to look good. like a kappa. That's excellent. Or Tengu or something. Oh, Dime. <laughs> JJ says, whatever Bob is, it's not that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, its name is not Bob, then. Well, you know, it's... <laughs> oh, man. Okay. All right, so let's head back across the river. Okay. And let's go back to uh, archaeology, landscape archaeology here. Okay, yeah, this is the way out. Oh, it's getting so cold. Uh... Okay. And answer, we should probably head down so yep. that we can get to the water without jumping off cliffs. I don't think I've seen this place in day before. Couldn't recognize it. Yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, Okay, I just sprained my ankle on the water, I guess. Okay. Well, you you got to keep your feet together when you hit the water. Right, yeah. Uh-oh. Waterfall. That looks yep, exciting. Yep, yep, yep. Back on shore, back on shore. Can we go over the waterfall? Would that be fun, or would that not be fun? Depends on your definition of fun. Okay. I mean, I'll watch. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's see. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's yeah, a fairly significant waterfall right there. Yeah, I think that would have been a misadventure. Yeah, okay. I, oh, think, no. I think I'm going down the cliff down face there. over here. Yeah, I can. What? No problem. Uh. See, look, it didn't even break my ankle. I've, I've gotten to be oh, a... Right. Who's, um, who's, who's this chap? Oh, it's a yeah. relic hunter. Right, okay. Yep. Well, that's fine. Okay. Okay, so we're going across here. We're south of the diggings. Uh-huh. We're south of the diggings. And... Let's see what we can find. Here is evidence of old diggings by Saruman, right? Scattered around. So place like wrecks of... So where he dredged this whole place, right? Before he yeah, found his much. site. Right. Okay, so what we're looking for, primar what I am primarily looking for is any archaeological evidence of Gollum's old village. Hmm. I want to find, I want to look to, for what's, the, what's on fire over there? Oh, it's a forlorn glimmer. It's a mob. It is fire. I see. Okay, so we've got like Will of the Wisp action and giant frogs. Yep. Okay. Wait, I just got the dead slayer? So the glimmers oh. are dead people? 
Oh yeah, we generally only see wisps in areas that are kind of haunted. Is that is that um is there is there explained lore behind that? I don't know. I think Where's the first time we see them? Is that even done? Like on the beach near Oak Martin? No, it was the Barrows. Barrow Downs first yeah. place we see him. Barrows. Well, Lori, yeah. can we fill up real quick so I can put shield wall on Corey? Oh, yeah, you bet. Thank you. But the, we're halting the party. We're halting the party real quick. You gotta hold still or it just don't work. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Apologize. Okay. So I'm thinking I'm gonna go around the Gladden Fields, but I'm gonna start. Are we good? No, I don't. Hang on. Your shield wall's not up. Oh, okay. I'm not in the party yet. Oh, where are you? I'm in the red right here, bouncing. Oh. <sighs> Sorry about that. Chris, uh. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Alright. I gotta convert to red, and then I gotta do it, and then I gotta move you over. So I'm thinking we should be looking in the hills along the edge of the Gladdenfield Lowlands here. Um, let's move Hunter over, and then let's see, we put Arson over there so DNA doesn't die. Okay. There we go. See, I'm not sure if they would have lived in holes, but that's my—that's the theory I'm going to go with until I have any reason to think otherwise. Huh? So I'm going to start down here, and let's go around the edge and see if we can see anything. I think they made reference of his grandmother's <clears throat> house, though, not his grandmother's hole. Did they? I don't yeah, remember the house. I'm not sure. Or if they did, I wondered if it was a... It could, have been, it could have meant clan kicked out of his grandmother's clan. Clan, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Is this far enough down? But also, they lived on the riverbank, and we knew that they climbed trees, which already makes them kind of singular hobbits. Hmm. Oh, it looks like JJ doesn't have a green stand needs a, an, an invite, too. Green stand needs an invite also. Green stand. He's the green guy. Guy with the green The cloak. green guy. Okay, hang on. In the back there. Um, with the with the bog guardian. Um Up oh, there you are. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. All right. Now there's a road here, but it's probably more path than. Well, this is the road to the Duskin Vale, which yeah, I don't want to go I on. Think that, yeah, um, that's near the the dwarf. Yeah. Near the dwarf. I want to I want to cut across to the other side and see if I can kind of loop back. Yeah, I want to follow it kind of inland here. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. See if I can find it with what we see. They would be close to the river, 
But of course, and this uh-huh. seems far away from the river. But again, the river could have come in much closer at that point. In fact, we have evidence that it did from the site of the successful diggings. Oh, geez, why is this thing killing me? <sighs> wow. Wait, who was killing you? Who a killed you? A bug killed me. I couldn't get land a hit on him for some reason. A bug killed you? Yep. Oh, man. Can anyone res Linus? Yeah, someone's doing it. Oh, good. From bug death? Yeah, death by bug for some reason. Which I've often felt while in a swamp. Yeah, I, I've happen. been camping on the Potomac. Yeah, I, I get exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Okay. Let's see. This is feeling like more hobbity terrain, but so I'm just looking mm. for the edge here. Is there still a no? There's a gradual descent. Okay, just, I just wanted to see if there was a cliff there. Okay. Right. Oh no, that's a wheel. It's a very Saromonic wheel over here. But wait, there's a hole in the. There's a, a cave. Uh-huh. The Warrens of Toon Melon, huh? Warrens sounds promising. It does. Okay. So was there, let's see, if there's an, there's an excavation in here. Oh, oh, look at the furniture. Oh, and the door frame. round door frames. Hello. Round door frames. Oh, Eureka. I recognize those cabinets, too. Yes, their cabinetry is similar. Okay, well then. And who's squatting in here? The, the, who are these guys? Who are the mobs in there? Looks as half Ruffians? Ruffian relic hunter. Okay. So notice how it's like a combination. Notice how the walls are stone, right? The, st- the yeah. walls are laid stone. Okay. So we have, in fact, found the halls of Gollum's ancestral home, I'm going to guess. Oh, it's hard to see with all these roots. Oh, yeah. Overseers. And who are you? You're a hunter? Relic hunter? Yeah. Okay. You're a relic hunter. So you're just some of Saruman's guys. So we could see at the entrance that Saruman had uh, been doing excavations here. Uh-huh. Which explains why they were covered over. So, right, so is wondering, are they, are they structurally stacked stone, or is it just a facade over the cave's natural stone? I would... I'm guessing facade, but I don't... I mean, it would seem a little bit odd to have a cave and then to be having to, like, if it's a large cave and you're building stone walls inside a cave, unless you were just uncomfortable, unless you were a small person who was uncomfortable with a big, huge vaulted cave like the, you know, like we see in Moria, for instance. Yeah. yeah. And wanted a oh, smaller, you, cozier thing. Did you see this Viking statue over here, the one that we've seen in the other ones? No, this is a statue. Hang on, I just wanted to see. It was what back was in where the, it was back where the ruffians were. Oh no, I missed it. 
what it's doing here. I have oh, no idea. right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's the statue with the eyebrows. Yeah. And the pouchy eyes. It's the hungover Viking. <laughs> yeah. Well, certainly the way that it's set there certainly doesn't lead one to suspect that this is its original site. No, it looks like the ruffians were trying to, like, shore up the ceilings with it and just sort of got distracted. Right. Or even hoarding it. Ooh. Better keep this stick. Might be worth something. Well, you know, antiquaries might be interested. I'm not sure. It belongs in a museum. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine these half-orc overseers saying that. Um, <laughs> it belongs in a museum. Uh, okay, orc banner. Probably half-hearted orc banner. Half-hearted attempt to shore up the stone walls, which might have been bulging a bit here. Hence the haphazard boards nailed onto it. Um, yeah, it really does look like they're just trying to shore up the ceiling so it wouldn't collapse on them while they raided it. Yep. Ah, the beer barrels. Still here. <laughs> oh, no, it's a haunted burrow. Ew, I think this would actually be worse than the Haunted Pro to be, you know, chest deep in fluid. Right. Is that a corpse or a party member? Huh? Where? I see a dog. Oh, no, that's a... Dead woodman. That's a dead woodman. It's a corpse, huh? Yeah. It's an NPC corpse? For sure. Yeah. Wow. I don't uh, well I think the, there's only one thing that's obvious about this corpse his cause of death he doesn't have the little uh, wooden talisman oh yeah it's obviously why he died oh gosh I hope that doesn't mean he's cursed or something in his beliefs when I, I I think it's just like you know like what the woodman's mothers always tell them you know yeah if you leave the house without your little wooden talisman on your belt or around your neck no one's you know then like something terrible is going to happen to you yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um, he is extremely well preserved, Dan. There's no question about that. Oh, th this was recent. This is most definitely yeah. recent. Okay, so the flooding of the lower levels here again suggests, as we've seen, the change of the, the riverbed. Yeah. Of the riverbed, yeah. Training dummies. Someone's appropriate in this room. Shields, yeah. I mean, it, we saw some piles of skulls and things. Oh, a Skull female. piles, eh? A woman ruffian. And we haven't seen yet in here. 
None of them. Does he have a ram on his belt buckle? Hmm. Well, anyway. Okay, the wall's not doing so well in here. Yeah, the question being, where did these guys come from? The ruffians? Yeah, do they look like villagers we've seen before? Do they look like the villagers in the in the places we've been visiting? Don't they look like the Don't they look like the um the archaeo, you know, the 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 diggers, the archaeological team? The Cybermen? Uh, well, yeah, no, I mean, where did the archaeological team come from? Oh, where the... did he farm these people from? Oh, these are new stores. These aren't old preserved stores. These are, although that loaf's looking pretty blue on top. They look, yeah, these are new stores. In which makes sense. The bread would probably have gone bad in 500 years. Yeah, one of the loaves on top of the stacks actually looks pretty blue. Oh, barracks. Okay. Right, yeah, these are the, the ruffians' barracks. Yep. And let's see, we got a glowing page. Pick that up. Birch bark page. Caught a thieving by his kin, cried cravenly to keep his skin, squawk and simper, squeal and sob. He fled a howling from the mob. So, more again about the story of Gollum. Yep. Yep. What is it? Or is it? Hmm. Sounds like it. Yep. Ooh, somebody's eating good there. This must be Captain's rations over here. Yeah, the table is very well set over there. So, Hard to uh, say what this room would have been in the original construction. Oh, oh look at yeah, that. Especially if the barrel, now if the barrel racks are new. Oh, wow. That's Shire Make right there. That's Shire Make. Is that stolen or uh, is that a, just a folk art style? Well, or yeah, is it is it evidence that Gollum <laughs> himself once wore a waistcoat? And I he would, knows what a blue sky is. I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't think so because this hobbit is smoking and Gollum certainly had never, I mean, smoking was only discovered more recently. Yeah, pipe weed wasn't grown out here. Right, JJ's wondering if this is Smeagol's picture ID. Uh, probably yeah. not. Probably not. Um, yeah, this picture no, hangs in Bag End. Right, yeah, it's what I was thinking. It does. Oh, it's a Baggins portrait. I wonder if somebody found. I wonder if the name Baggins got cropped up, and this is like Odo or Bungo, Bingo, somebody, some other Baggins. Yeah, as Emily says, it could have been brought from the Shire with Sarman's pipeweed. Um, <laughs> right. And JJ says it's the artist's rendering that Gollum has been using to ask around. Have you seen this, Hobbit? Baggins? The hairline might be different, and right. I don't think it's this sunny today, but have you seen him? Right. Yes. 
We hate it. Yes. Um, Oop, mobber's fun. I mean, there is a... There is obviously a Saruman... <laughs> Bring it in the big guns. The whole, the whole menagerie. Um, there is a, a an Isengard connection, of course, with the Shire through the half-orcs that are here. Um... Tomas is thinking perhaps it's just a pictorial manual manual on how to use the pipe weed. That seems like the most likely explanation yet. Um, yeah, uh, he got Lotho got a copy of this portrait at a discount and included it with the shipment of pipe weed as an as a, as an illustration of how to smoke it. This is what you're supposed to do with it. Actually, uh, more to the fact, it could be the image of the person. It could be like uh, Odo Longborough who grows the pipeweed. Yeah, it was, it's, so it's like his uh, personal stamp, right? Yeah, his business card. His business card. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hobbits would have calling cards, wouldn't they? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, this I, is, yeah, this is intriguing. I don't see too much. Uh, I think well, there was another direction we didn't go yet. Oh, look, he's got like a cleaver. Like he's actually involved in food preparation. This looks like one of those hasty orc weapons. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Okay, I think it was in this room. Yeah, it was in this room. Oh, hang on, you're kiting a bunch of things. Oh, sorry. I'll get my uh, get my links to help out. It's fine. You're shield walled. Yeah. Okay, she's shoveling mm -hmm. underwater, which is awkward. Well, she's. I think she's standing on garbage. Yeah, she was right. standing on garbage over here. Yeah, there's also like four inches of water on the, on the ground, though, on top of the garbage. Man, this is a warren. Yeah. A regular warren, by all accounts. So, yeah, and these are obviously, again, modern stores. Yep. So I'm trying to look through to the walls and things to see if I can see any other evidence of any um, contemporaneous... Judging from the garbage on the floor, I feel like anything that was in here before definitely would have rotted away by yes. now, especially with the introduction of water. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Okay. So we found... They do have wood floors, yes. You're right, JJ. And that oh, yeah, look at that. That also does suggest to me... Um, again, the again the the stone the stone facade, or even if it wasn't a facade, you know, could there be a larger cave around this? But they decided to build, um, you know, smaller passages inside, or maybe they are just maybe that's why it's so worn. Like, is that it does actually follow the natural tunnel? Because in some places like this, it looks more like a natural cave, right? You can see the evidence like here where the where the stone the the stacked stone wall breaks off and mm -hmm. the you know sort of the rubble of the of just a natural cave wall seems to begin 
What did they do in these rooms? Yeah, there are lots of rooms, but they don't seem to... It's not like... Um, like bedrooms, you know, like there's, 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 it's all flow through rooms, right? Like they were, uh, yeah. most of these rooms are, are, were public rooms in some sense. I did see some closed doors, which might indicate bedrooms. Yeah, exactly. There, there are some, but, um, but yeah, so I think it's probably is following the natural tunnel. Um, yeah. And, but that they didn't just want to live in a rough hewn tunnel. They had the, you know, they have all the wooden beams, the wooden ceiling and wooden floors, um, mm -hmm. and uh, the stone walls that they constructed, yeah. not not leveled off. You know, they're not block walls or brick walls. Um, and you can't even really see much in the way of mortar here. I wonder if there was plaster put on this that eventually sort of sloughed off. Oh, yeah, I wonder. Maybe. Maybe. That's very possible. There could have been plaster, even like painted plaster um, over this. That's... Kind of nice to imagine. Yeah, yeah. Imagining these beams, you know, all the beams, both of the doorways and the ceilings, sort of new and stained, and then mm -hmm. the walls plastered and painted. Yeah. Plus, plus, you'd want to coat it with something to stave off the damp if you got all this wood in here. Right. Right. Would be rather insalubrious. Yes. Yeah. Now, presumably, the war the floors weren't, you know, three inches deep in water, but. Um, well, yeah, but even then, you'd still get some pretty bad moisture out here. Mm -hmm. yep. But yeah, it is interesting. It doesn't follow the traditional Hobbit tunnel where it's a straight um, galley, gallery yes. with rooms branching off of it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And um, uh, what was I saying? Uh, oh, yeah, I was going to say that the, you know, um, it certainly shows. You know, when Gandalf says that he has no doubt that uh, Gollum's grandmother was a matriarch, a, a very, you know, a, a great person in her way. Um, mm -hmm. This is a fine structure, right? I mean, it's it's uh, fairly advanced artistically. I mean, if we imagine it in the state that we're describing, you know, with newly stained, um, you know, newly stained, you know, sanded and stained ceiling beams, floors, Mm -hmm. wall beams and then carpets nice painted plaster you know uh on top of the stone and then um yeah as you say rugs and carpets and thing and tiling maybe even in places um i think it's i mean this could it, it could be bag end like there's no obvious drop off in um sort of art artistry or technology between you mm -hmm. know there's nothing that says primitive hobbits about this doing. no no these these are living just as comfortable as any hobbits we'd see nowadays yeah and as jj says it seems like it would have been about as grand as brandy hall yes it really does seem very grand uh, oh, yeah. uh and in the, exactly that kind of way um of course it reminds me of brandy hall jj because it's called a warren um as <laughs> you know uh yeah, it makes me wonder, like, we know Bilbo's flow-through plan for his house, but I wonder if, like, the brandy box built more along this style, if, especially yeah. if they're living in a hill, it would definitely be like there's different layers and levels and different passageways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of sad we never get to see inside of it. Yes. 
Me too. Me too. I was glad we got to go into into the great smiles, but I was disappointed we yeah. never get to go into Brandy Hall. Um, yeah. So yeah, now I, I mean, it's clearly as this is clearly like the great smiles or Brandy Hall in its scope. I think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there were there could possibly be you know other. Maybe this was just where the great family lived, and there are other hobbit holes. Let's, it's time to end, but maybe we could just go um, step back outside briefly. Uh-huh. Um, oh, hang on. No, this is back. Did I miss the turn? I missed the turn. Oh, yeah, it's back up here. Did miss the turn. Near the cage. Aha, right on. Okay. Um, Makes you wonder what's on top. Like, are there any, like, lookout towers or windows up there? Right. I just wanted to look at the neighborhood and see if there's any evidence of any others. I mean, of course, the f- I, I like the fact they gave a kind of excuse, right? Like, it's not automatic that the, you know, the cave dwellings of the hobbits of 500 years ago would necessarily still be there. But, of course, they've been recently excavated, by mm-hmm. you know so I'm kind of looking around here and trying to imagine other whole I mean this is not like um you know the hill in Buckland I mean this is a big old yeah you could even build anything on the side here side of a mountain yeah see now here's another entrance right here though Bingo. Same one, or? Nope. Still says Tootin Melon. But it's not the Warrens anymore. It's a different one. No, you're right. Yep. Oh, we came in through a hole in the wall here. That looks like that wasn't meant to be an entrance. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Oh, I was going to say let's explore next week, but there's nothing to explore. This is just it. This is just... Yeah, it's all caved in. It's just an old brass button. There's a brass button? Over here. What? Oh, and a bark bark page. Keep your sons and daughters dear. Mind the moors and marshes drear. For when the night grows black and cold, comes crawling up the mad and old. Oh. Okay. That that went somewhere I didn't. So that's where that what they're what they're calling them these days. <laughs> yes. Or somebody. Yes. Where's the brass button? I don't see a brass button. There should be a nameplate over here. A nameplate? Yeah. Do you have names on? No. No. No, old brass button. Okay. Oh, yeah. Nope. It might be part of the, the quest. You have to go find some things. Huh. There's a hot uh, sized chair here. Well, yeah, we can kind of guess who, who this brass button came off of. Still some scummy stuff on these dishes, too. <laughs> there's so, there's Dime yeah. sitting demurely in the chair over in the corner there. Dime's magical, because that chair was smaller before she sat in it. <laughs> it was this 
size of this chair over here. <laughs> Wibbly wobbly. So that chair is like it's so it's like the chair of power that adapts itself. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it does. How very eerie. Hmm. Okay. Well, cool. Okay. Well, well, certainly what this shows then is if we just step outside, and then we really do have to go, but if we just step outside for a second. Yeah. So the. Oh, yeah. It shows that looking at the map for a second, it does show that the um, there are multiple places along this whole mountainside. So it's like, um, you know, it's like the big hill, you know, in Buckland. It's like an apartment block. You're right. Exactly. It's like an apartment block with lots of well, different entrances. And no doubt separate, you know, private homes. I'm not saying they all necessarily lived in one sort of communal building. But yeah, that's where I got. The, it's It feels like an apartment block where everybody's got their own houses, but they're all sort of stacked together in the same community. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. Exactly. And there's where the ring was found. Mm-hmm. Right out here. Well, unless the river changed its course, which we didn't theorize. Well, right, yeah. No, but I mean, that's I'm saying the, like, the diggings are right there. So where Isildur, where the battle was fought, was right here. Um, mm -hmm. So that means that the ring would have been found right here in this vicinity, right outside. So that this might have been Smeagol's house. Might have, yeah. I mean, it looks, you know, if the brass button there makes me think he brought it back to his old house and just sat there looking at it and plotting revenge. Yeah. This seems to me very possible. Okay. All right. Well, we should end here. We're... We're uh -huh. late, been late all night, but I want to keep everybody all evening long. So thank you, everybody, for joining me tonight. This has been, we, we, and just for the record, I did not know that this was here for a fact, nor had any idea where it was. I'm kind of proud <laughs> at how our, you know, logical and archaeological reasoning led us straight here as if I knew right where it was, but I didn't. Um, Yay, deduction. Yeah, so that was fun. Um See, we're getting good at this archaeo gaming thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Next time we'll go over there and see who's lighting fires over there. But I, I feel yeah. the worst. But um, yeah, so we'll we'll do that next time. So um, I should point out, indeed, I should have pointed this out sooner. Uh, that um, so we're, I'm not going to be able to meet next. So we're coming up on the holidays. So I'm actually going to take a two week hiatus here, um, doing family stuff and everything. So we will. Um, so this will actually be it until January, first week of January. So we'll come back on the January 5th or whatever it is. So um, anyway. Okay. Uh, so well, we'll happy holidays, everybody, and yeah. happy new year. Exactly. Happy holidays and happy new year, and we will be back in January. Back okay. uh, right, around, uh, right around Tolkien's birthday again for our, our next session. All right. Anniversary party. That's it. Oh, yeah, totally. totally. Party. It'll be the fourth anniversary? Mm, I think so, yeah. Fourth anniversary. Because it was 2017, wasn't it? Yeah, January it was. 3rd, 2017? Five million years ago. Yeah. 
All right. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Uh, see you next year. I am doing the rest of my broadcast this week as usual, but we'll do Exploring the Lord of the Rings again in three weeks from tonight. All right. Thanks, everybody. Good night now. Good night. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.